Hi, it is so lovely to be with you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Annie. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and it's such a privilege to open God's word with you today. Hello. Um, so before we do that, though, it's very important that we pray. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for today. I thank you for life and for breath and for the rain outside. I thank you for a safe place to be. I thank you for family. I thank you that you're a God who gives us your word so we can know you and hear from you. And Lord, I pray that as we open this particular part of your word tonight, that you would be honoured and glorified and that we would be ready to hear and receive and not just know good things, but live differently because of it. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, how many of you have had the experience of something happening, a situation taking place where you find um, that you have a new appreciation or understanding of your body? Has anyone had that happen where you like injure yourself or something crazy happens? Yeah, I'm seeing a few nods. Um, well, I had, many of you will know, that I had that experience last year. Um, I broke my ankle pretty badly. Um, I will just do this so that I can show you some pictures. There we go. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was not great. Um, and I, I did it in such a silly way. It's not even a good story. I came home. It was camp week, Monday of camp week. I had a big to-do list. And I got home having just done a grocery shop so that we'd be ready for the week. Um, and I did the stupid thing, the rookie error, which I'm sure you all do, but don't do it, people. Like, it's just not good. Where I was like, I can carry all of this in, in one go, for sure. That will be fine. Um, and so I got all the groceries that I had just bought and a big bunch of flowers I had for someone I was meeting later that day, so I couldn't see a thing. And uh, we'd moved into this house a week before, so I wasn't super familiar with it. And I like, walked down, there was a big gate, so I like, blindly fiddled for the latch and flicked it and then kicked the gate with my foot and then the next thing I knew, I was on the floor screaming in a very lot of pain. It wasn't very pleasant. Um, but what this situation did teach me was a whole new appreciation for bodies. Um, it was firstly an appreciation of my leg and my ankle. I realised very quickly that I couldn't turn myself over in bed. I couldn't use the toilet on my own. I couldn't shower myself. I couldn't dress myself. I couldn't get up out of a chair on my own. Everything, all of a sudden, I realised, was much harder. My leg was just out of action, and so all these things became almost impossible for me, except for the fact Tim was great and took care of me. Thanks, Tim. Um, <laughs> but after the realisation of the big thing, that my leg wasn't working and those things weren't happening, I then started to have the realisation of what happens to a body when it's compensating for a bit not doing what it should do. So I started to get back aches and neck aches and headaches and realising that my body could, it was beautiful that the body God gave me could compensate for this thing, but it was very complicated in that it wasn't supposed to do that for a long period of time. So I felt all these things that were happening. And then it got down to even more small details. Um, my physio, wonderful Brianna, she's brilliant, but she... Um, she taught me about how my ankle didn't remember that it was an ankle, so I needed to remind it that it's an ankle and it's in, it's in its right spot and it needs to do ankle things. And I didn't know that toes do little things that, like micro-movements to stabilise you so that you're not wobbly all the time. And that stopped when I had surgery, so I, now I'm wobbly and I'm learning to be balanced again. 
all these big and little things showing me how important not just the big parts of our body are, but actually every little detail, every little part of my body is there for a purpose. And when one bit isn't doing its job, then the whole thing is thrown out. So when I came to tonight's passage, um, I came with this experience freshly in my mind. As I started to think about the body and I started to think about what Paul is describing here, I realised how important he's giving every... Sorry, the importance he's giving every part of the body. Um, Paul uses many analogies for the people of God in his, in his letters. He uses uh, the analogy of a family, which we've talked about before, as an army and even a bride. But he most often comes back to this picture of the human body and its many parts. And in each of these passages, he comes back to a few key things that are essential for a body functioning well in the way that it's supposed to. And they are unity, diversity, maturity, and love. And we'll see that again today as we look at this passage. It's one of the marks of a person, a human, as they're developing and growing. Um, It's a mark of their maturity that they understand their body. They understand how it works and what it does, and they appreciate how it takes up space and all of those things. Um, And there's also a number of key decisions for a disciple that show that they are maturing. One of those big decisions is the decision to participate uh, in what God is doing and play our role in the body of Christ as we, wherever we are at any given time. So having said all that, let's jump into uh, the words from Paul today. Um, And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this passage. It's one of those, if you've been around church for a while, you'll be like, yeah, yeah, be the body, I know. Um, I get what that means. Um, And I felt a little bit like that as I opened this passage. Um, But as I reread these words, uh, I was hit afresh with the beauty of what Paul is describing here. Um, So I hope you're excited to join me on this journey. But before we get into the details, I think it's very important that we zoom out Um, and get some context so that we have clarity and so we can understand what Paul is saying when he jumps into this particular part um, as he talks to the church in Corinth. So hopefully that works. There we go. So we're in the letter of 1 Corinthians. Um, Corinth was a big port city in the ancient world. Um, It had many temples to various Greek and Roman gods and it was a big economic centre. Lots of people gathered there. And knowing this, Paul knew that it was a really strategic place to go and plant a church. So off he goes there and he spends a year and a half with the people in Corinth um, and he gets to know them, he builds relationships um, and he introduces the people to Jesus and it's from those people um, that we see the first church formed in Corinth. So Paul then, after he's planted this church and seen these disciples grown, he then moves on and continues to do what he's doing on his missionary journey and planting more churches. But as he goes, he starts to get word that things aren't going well in Corinth. If you want to know more about all this, you can look at Acts 18. He finds out that things are going very wrong in the church and it's to that context that he writes uh, this letter that we're looking at. Uh, So he writes in response to this crisis and he breaks the letter up into five main parts and he responds to each issue with some part of the gospel. The thing that is common with all the issues that are coming up in the Corinthian church is that the Jesus followers in Corinth 
aren't living what they believe. They say they believe in Jesus, but their lives aren't showing it. So what Paul is doing with this letter is teaching the Corinthian church and us to think about every part of life through the lens of the good news of Jesus and the grace that we receive through it. He talks about divisions and sex and food and gathering as church. And finally, and this is key, he talks about the resurrection. He reminds them that the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God made a way that we couldn't to be right with him again, um, after all the ways we've rejected him and all the ways we've harmed others, all the destructiveness that, that we have caused and the consequence of that, that is death, the good news is that God broke into our reality and became one of us in Jesus to live the sinless life that we couldn't um, and to rise again for, to once and for all claim our freedom. He reminds us that without the resurrection, our faith is nothing and that because the resurrection was Jesus' victory over death and evil, it's the source of life and power for us now and it's a promise of future hope for the whole world. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus that we have a reason to be unified. It's a source of power for loving other people more than we love ourselves and ultimately it's our hope for victory over death. Paul is making the point that the gospel isn't just some nice information to have but it's it's an announcement of a whole new reality and a new way of seeing the world, about thinking about how we fit into the world and how we function in it. And it is that that informs who we are as the body of Christ. This is a reminder that the gospel isn't just a thing that changes our lives when we die, but it actually changes our reality right now. For us who have been transformed by the resurrection of Jesus, it is our call to be people who announce this new reality to the world wherever we go. We're now people individually and together whose role it is to bring God's kingdom to earth to work for justice, to speak for the voiceless, to care deeply, to be disciples who multiply, to be those who are light in the darkness of this world. And we're all seeing the darkness of this world at the moment, aren't we? To be and bring good news wherever we go is the call that we have. Anyway, it's very cool and I encourage you to go and read the whole letter at some point because seeing this where it fits in the whole letter is a beautiful thing. But hopefully that gives you context for where we're going when we zoom back in and look at this one chapter. So the section we read today comes in the midst of Paul talking to the Corinthians about worship gatherings, about what we're doing now, but where they are. And he begins this passage today by making two really important points. Before we get there, it's pretty impossible to talk about being the body without also talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, and we see that in the passage. It's the Spirit who gave birth to the body at Pentecost, Uh, It's the spirit who empowers the body uh, and works in and through the body and who gives us what we need to live in this new resurrection reality that we've been given. So firstly, Paul makes it clear that we can know the work of the Holy Spirit by what its end result is. If it points to Jesus and it brings glory to him, then it's the work of the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't, then it's not. Just like Jesus says in Matthew 7, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You know an apple tree because it grows apples. You know a pear tree because it grows pears. Um, And it's the same with Jesus' people. As people who are changed by the resurrection of Jesus, people who have received the Holy Spirit, we will have gifts from the Holy Spirit and we will be keen to use those gifts to love and serve others. And when we do, the result is that people will be pointed to Jesus and he will be glorified. 
But this got me thinking a little bit about uh, the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Let me just make sure we're on the right. There we go. Um, it's important, it's so important that those two things are linked. And that's something I hadn't necessarily thought about before. Maybe that's just me. But imagine if we had all these gifts that you see here, well, and many more, that's not a whole list, but we were all using them without developing and cultivating the fruits of the Spirit in our own life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It would be chaotic and destructive if we were all hanging on to our gifts and trying to use them, but with just a thought about ourselves and how we, what we can get out of it. It's not enough just to have the gifts of the Spirit. We also need to have the graces of the Spirit to go along with them. We need those to be able to use our gifts to play our role in Jesus-shaped love. Now, obviously growing these gifts is a lifelong journey and it's essential that we consider the gifting that God has given us uh, each to love and serve others, that we are using those gifts out of the foundation of bearing the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. Then when we serve, the fruit will match the tree um, and it will point properly to Jesus. The beautiful thing is that all of this is not something that we produce on our own. It's not something we have to work for or make happen or just like if we try hard enough, it'll happen. Um, our job is just to cling close to Jesus. He's the vine, we're the branches. We've just got to be good branches. Hold on. And as we do that, the vine will produce through us what he desires to produce. Isn't it beautiful that that's not a scary full-on command that we need to make both of those things happen? That's actually a beautiful, restful gift. We just get to cling to Jesus and he does the rest. So I wonder for you, as you think about your unique shape and gift, uh, if there are fruits of the Spirit, you need to ask God to grow in you so that you can produce good and lasting fruit as you use your gifts. How can you be making space to draw near to Jesus so that you're growing his type of fruit and serving out of that space? Imagine the beauty uh, of all the people who make up Jesus' body here at Springwood, not only using their gifts and skills, but using them out of a place where they're just growing the fruits of the Spirit in their life. What a healthy and flourishing place that would bring. So the second thing Paul reminds us of uh, is that all these many and varied gifts of the Spirit are given by the one Holy Spirit and our one God. He decides who gets what and when. And as Paul says, it's so that we can help each other. That's specifically what he says. We get these gifts so that we can help each other. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That God created, formed and shaped and gifted you specifically for this time in history, for this season at Springwood Baptist Church. He knew that I need your help to be and bring good news in the world. He knew that I need your help to fully live into the resurrection reality that we've been given through Jesus. He knew I need your help to serve our community and each other. He knew I can't do it alone and you can't either. He knew that we need each other. And for example, I love and I'm so comforted by the thought that he knows that I'm just a shocker with admin. Like it's just, it makes me so stressed. I can't, I just can't. But he knew that we would need people who are good at that and who can. So he gave us people like Mark Mitchell and Marielle Weeks, she's up the back, she's wonderful, who are so good at it that it, when it happens, you don't even know it's happening. It just happens and you're like, wow, 
wish I could do that, but I'm so glad you can. <laughs> it's amazing. He also knew that I am very, very bad with technology, as many people here will know. And so he gave us people like these at the back who are able to do that easily and make it so smooth. If I was doing that, you'd all know about it because it would be falling apart. But I'm very grateful that everyone has a part to play and everyone's doing it and God needed, we would, knew we needed each other. It blows my mind how cool and beautiful that is. And as the passage goes on to say, it shouldn't surprise us that it's orchestrated this way. All of this comes from one God with one spirit who has one big plan of salvation for the world. So I wonder if you would ask our Heavenly Father what he has placed you here for. What's the role he specifically equipped you with um, and given his spirit to you to fulfil? What would it look like for you to take a step of faith into that area or maybe just step more into it if you're already there to be part of what God's doing here at the moment? Who could you talk to to explore it further? I would love to talk to you or pray with you afterwards. I know Steve would too and so many others Um, because we're in it together. We're all working it out together. No one has it all down. So now, as we were talking about at the beginning, Paul gets to this analogy that he loves to use for the people of God, and it's this really intimate picture of the body. And I realised I'd never thought about how intimate that picture is. It's even more intimate than family. He uses the image of a body and us all being members of the same body. It means we're made of the same stuff. We're literally part of one another. We notice what's going on with each other because we're all linked. Paul describes this miraculous thing that has happened to us because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He says, even though before some of us were Jews, some were Gentiles, some were slaves, some were free, some were male, some were female, some were rich or poor, old or young, no matter our race or social status, wealth or even sex, these things are neither advantages or handicaps as we gather as family and body and as we serve the Lord together. So we, through Jesus, are made one because we share that same spirit. But I love that the call to be Jesus' body and be made of the same stuff and be totally connected um, also comes with this affirmation of our diversity. I think that's a beautiful thing that Paul gives us. Um, In nature, it's actually necessary for an organism to be diverse, for it to thrive and grow and multiply. And I think that's the same with a church. Jesus calls us not to unity but to uniformity. So it's intentional that we have different views, different gifts, different personalities, different passions, all of those things. Um, Our diversity is key to our flourishing as a healthy body. So maybe that's something we can remember next time you're serving and someone's doing something not the way you would do it or uh, you're a bit annoyed that something's happening in a way that isn't your thing. Let's remember that actually our differences are there for a reason. And let's give thanks for those. Obviously, there are are moments where you need to deal with that differently. But most of the time, we want to, if we're growing the fruits of the Spirit in our life and using our gifts, then we can give thanks for the differences that God has given us. So many of you will know um, that until the beginning of this year, my main role at church for the last decade has been working with the youth of our church. Um, The Jaywalk youth team who were, were who came to mind immediately uh, when I thought of this passage. Uh, they're just one small part of our body at Springwood, and many of them are here tonight. Um, but working with them is one of the great joys of my life. 
It's the most massive joy to see such a diverse group of people, and believe me, we're all very different, uh, bringing what they have week after week, year after year, to love and serve the teens that God has entrusted to us and their families in ways that you would know and in a lot of ways that you probably wouldn't realise. Um, for instance, we have Mark and Derek who come weekly to set up for us to give the leaders some buffer time between work and youth group. Um, many people wouldn't know they're there, but we couldn't do what we do without them. Um, we have Graham who comes week after week to support one young man who couldn't be at youth group without a leader of his own. Um, he plays board games and talks about life and Jesus. Most people would never know he was there, but we couldn't do what we do without him and this young guy couldn't be at youth group without him either. We have Barb and Jenny who come along and support different groups and leaders and uh, share their life with the kids. Um, all the leaders are responsible for a small group of teens who they disciple and teach and mentor and encourage um, and share the ups and downs of life with and have fun and disciple and um, they all have that. But they're also gifted in unique and amazing ways. We have leaders like Kiralee and Elise who manage social media, leaders who do sound and data like Scott and Lockie, leaders who design posters and online graphics and camp booklets like Alec. We have leaders who write studies and talks and plan teaching series like Beth and James and Yvette and Dav. We have leaders responsible for fun who organise the activities and adventures we go on as a youth group like Ben and Jarrah and Solly and Courtney. We have leaders who manage the kiosk and the money and the rostering and our sponsor child like Georgia. We have leaders who manage the youth band and help us worship together like Jesse. We have leaders who lead and guide from the front when we're together like Tim and Izzy and amazing all-rounders like Jerry. And all these leaders faithfully then vacuum and wash and pack up and um, reset the church when we're done. We have leaders who use their passion and training and gifts as social workers and teachers and um, IT designers and all sorts of different things um, to make sure that we're able to disciple our kids well. We have leaders who are super high energy and the kind of personality you would think of when you think youth leader, but we also have leaders who came to me quietly and said, look, I'd love to be a youth leader, but I don't think I actually fit the mould very well because I'm quiet and I'm introverted. And of course I said, yes, you should definitely lead. And I'm so glad I did because they're the leaders who do different things. They're able to make space for our less loud teens or our neurodivergent teens. They notice things that other do others don't notice. And, and both types of leaders set tone and culture in a really beautiful way. The Lord has placed this phenomenal group of people together um, at this time, at this place, um, to do what he has called them to do and to minister to these kids. And I love witnessing the really clear outworking of this passage uh, in them. I love seeing how they celebrate with each other when there are things to celebrate and mourn with each other when there are things to mourn. I love seeing the way that they're quick to jump in and back each other when someone needs support or to be covered for some reason. I love witnessing their humility in putting others before themselves. I love how they keep showing up for each other week after week and for their teens, even when it would often be much easier not to. They are empowered by our risen King Jesus to do what he has given them and to love and serve the teens and their families that he's entrusted to us. It's not always easy and it's extremely costly, but if they hadn't taken this step of faith, there are lots of things that may never have happened. There, may, there are kids who may not know about Jesus. There are families who may not be connected to church. There are kids who wouldn't have taken their next steps in discipleship. Um, all of these things God has used them for um, so that kids are following Jesus today. 
But this same story is true for so many people in our church. I could fill multiple sermons with stories about all our leaders, all of you guys who serve in various ways at church. It's so important that we're all doing our bit so that we can be and bring the good news to Springwood and around the world. This passage is such a good reminder for us that we are all in this together and we have a high calling from King Jesus. That calling I mentioned right back at the beginning to announce the new reality that the death and resurrection of Jesus brings. To be and bring good news in the world, to bring justice, to welcome the outsider, to introduce people to Jesus. This passage reminds us that to do this, we need one another. I think since COVID, if you're anything like me and others I talk to, being back at church and getting back into things is really hard. Uh, We're more tired, socialising is harder, anxiety is higher, things feel much more overwhelming and generally more heavy and taxing. But can I encourage you not to be like my knee muscle? I, weird, but stay with me. Recently, I, it's because of my ankle, but I didn't know that. Anytime I walk up and down an incline, I get this like painful click behind my knee. And so I was like, this is weird. So I went to my physio and I said, look, I don't know what this is. And she did a few tests and was like, oh, that's this, this muscle just here. Since you did your ankle, it's just tapped out. It's just decided I must not be needed. So I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. And ouch, like, no, it's actually very important. It's very important. I didn't know it existed, but when it doesn't work, it's, it's a problem. So I encourage you not to be like that muscle. It may feel easier to tap out or to not come every Sunday or to not um, do what you used to do. Um, But can I encourage you that our church and the church more broadly will be much poorer for your absence and your decision not to participate. And I would venture that you would be poorer too for not doing that. Every part of our church has suffered in this season Almost all our ministries, especially kids and youth, are in real need of more leaders. We don't have enough life group leaders, bands are more scant, offerings are down, and all that makes so much sense given what we've been through together. But I'd love to draw your attention to the things God is doing here. God is bringing so many kids to our kids' ministries. Kids Club is booming on a Friday afternoon. Teens are being discipled, we're worshipping together, we're sending money to parts of the world that really need it. Disciples are being grown and multiplied. And that's just to name some very small parts of what happens here week by week. But these things don't just happen. Um, They take a fully engaged, unified, mature, diverse, spirit-empowered body to make them happen. I think our challenge from this passage is not to be like my funny little knee muscle and just tap out and think we're not needed. Um, Obviously, with that comes the caveat, be wise. It was appropriate for a season for me to not use my ankle, for it to have time out and rest and heal and do what it needed to do. But it was also very appropriate for the, when the time came for it to step back in and fully engage as a leg. And we need to do the same thing. We need each other. So we need you to play your role so that we can share our calling and the weight of all that together. We need to commit to one another Commit to showing up here week by week on Sundays because we need each other. We feel it when we're not all here. Feeling like, where is everyone today? Maybe I won't come next week. We need to commit to showing up here on Sunday. We need to worship together. We need to help each other refix our eyes on Jesus, remind each other why we're here and what we're doing. 
We need to commit to praying with and for one another. We need to commit to stepping into beautiful and costly places together and living the gospel with one another. I think these words from pastor and writer Eugene Peterson put it really well. He says, we need a sharp line between religious consumerism and a gracious gospel. A consumer religion shops for God in all the religious shopping malls and tries on the latest fashions. A gracious gospel discovers us in our ignorant waywardness and invites us into membership of Christ. Many people are living on the wrong side of the resurrection, trying to get something interesting or useful for their lives from God, rather than letting them do something gracious, him do something gracious and eternal for them. Resurre- resurrection life marks the difference. It is both more wonderful and more difficult than consumer religion. We counter the difficult and embrace the wonder by a simple practice of faithfulness. Day after day, week after week, year after year, we return to the Easter pivot, to the remembering of the resurrection, seeking to discard our consumer habits and receive gifts of grace. We work to pay attention to the verbs of the resurrection, God's actions in Christ that turn life around for us. We practice our participation in their actions, for we are convinced that our lives, as well as Christ's life, turn on the pivot of the resurrection action. So I wonder what it might look like for you to step more fully into your role among us in 2024. I wonder how you can be encouraging others in our family to do the same. Maybe we need to take time to have some of those I see in you conversations. I see this gift in you and I love seeing you use it. Or I see this gift in you and have you thought about how you could use it? I'm going to cheer you on if you do. And let's make the most of this series we're going through thinking about our gifts. Use the shape tool that both Steve's have talked us through recently. Come to the ministry fair and prayerfully engage with what's there. Let's dig into this together. Now, Paul finishes this discussion about spiritual gifts in the body in the next chapter, the one we didn't read today. And though it wasn't our passage, I really felt like it was an important place to end. Um, You know the passage, it's the love is patient, love is kind. It's the one you hear at weddings often. Um, But what we often forget is those words are actually in relation to what we've just talked about. They're about being the body and loving and serving and using our spiritual gifts. Paul starts the chapter by saying this. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. As we learn to use our gifts and as we choose to commit to and function together as a body, as we live into this new resurrection reality and seek to be like Jesus in this world, it all has to come back to love. That's where Paul is going with this. As we model our lives after Jesus, imitating his words, his works and his ways, this will naturally become a desire to love and serve others. It's love that will compel every person who calls this church home to use their role to seek the well-being of others. It's not about what we can get out of church, it's about what we can offer in love to one another. As Jesus said to his disciples, our call is to shape our lives around loving God and loving others with, thankfully, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Your choice to dig in and play your role in this body is an act of love for Jesus, for our church and for the community we serve. So it's important we all get in here.
Will you do it with me? I hope so. I'm going to pray. And um, then we've got some reflection questions to, that I'll just give you a couple of minutes to have a look at and pray through. I'd love it if you'd like diarise, like I need to talk to this person or I need to encourage this person or I need to pray through this or read 1 Corinthians, whatever it is. I'd love you to think about what's God saying, what's the thing he's put his finger on for you and then what are you going to do because of it. But let me pray and then I'll put the questions up. Father, we are so thankful that you've made us the way you've made us, that we've been made to need each other and for the beautiful things that happen when we realise that and we step into what you've called us to. Lord, thanks for including us in your mission here to love and serve the world. Lord, I pray for each of us that we would take very seriously our call to be body, um, to be family, to serve each other in love. And I pray that as we do that, that everyone who comes to this place, everyone who meets any of us in the street or at work or at school, Lord, I ask that people would know something about the goodness of Jesus because of their interactions with us. Lord, help us to spur each other on, help us to dig in together. And I pray that we wouldn't tap out or think we're not needed, but actually we would be good, good um, branches and cling to you. And as we rest in that, I pray that you would do miraculous things here. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.